Hello, and welcome to the Made in New England interview series, where we talk with New England-based companies and the people who lead them. I'm your host, Steve DeVries, uh, and today I'm joined with, by Corey Marcotte, uh, who is president of Intech Automation based in Rochester, New Hampshire. Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, would you like to kick us off with a little bit of background about yourself and your business? Sure. Um, so this show is based in New England, and uh, I'm a New England kid, born and raised in Laconia, New Hampshire. Uh, went in the military in the early 90s, came back and um, used the university system of New Hampshire and got an engineering degree and pretty much have worked my whole career uh, in, in New England, um, had supported other sites across the United States, United States and internationally, but uh, typically based in New Hampshire. Excellent. And so tell us a little bit about what Intech Automation does. So Intech is a custom automation uh, house. So we've been doing it for 23 years now. So um, we, we supply medical life science customers with custom automation equipment for assembly. So um, some of the tier one medical customers, um, sutures, needles, um, medical devices, assembly. So we have mechanical engineers, electrical engineers on staff that design specialty equipment that you couldn't get off the shelf. So you come in with a problem, we come up with a solution with mechanical electrical engineers, we procure or manufacture the components, build the machines, and then deploy the systems into other manufacturing facilities across the world. Sounds like a lot of fun. You must see a lot of unique applications out there, given the, the clients that you're working with. Yeah, it's great. Um, and we're, we're kind of a boutique automation shop, so we get to design some, um, some, some neat things and we get exposed to a lot of uh, cool emerging technologies that um, our customers need help with. So typically automation happens once they do prototype stages um, with operators um, and then it goes into a higher production, you know, gets validated, FDA approved, and then they have to produce it for the masses. And that's where the automation piece comes in. So we work with our customers from the conceptual phase all the way to production phase. Exciting. So everything that you do is is more or less one off. Uh, I have to ask being, you know, we're both manufacturing guys. We have operations backgrounds. Uh, how do you manage a business with, you know, so many new things coming through all the time in terms of metrics, right? What do you, what kind of metrics or KPIs do you use uh, to know that your business is running the way you want it to? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this business is typically small mom and pop companies or very large companies like, like an ATS or something like that, that's publicly traded. And it's very difficult. So it's, you know, clever engineers coming up with new solutions. So, you know, Doing it the first time is very difficult, and it's like stepping up to the plate and trying to hit a home run with uh, every pitch. Um, it could be very costly. So I've been with the company nine years now. So uh, I started to develop some some metrics where we were looking at, we will conceptualize what the solution should be from a mechanical perspective. And what that means is, you know, it needs a rotary table, it needs a platform, it needs a frame, it needs a robot, a, a vision system. Once we conceptualize that we can we can build the machine to do the solution for the customer, we'll build out a bomb of bill of materials and then we'll get a cost for that bill of materials. 
And over time, I've been collecting data throughout all the projects on direct labor. So assembling the machines, mechanical engineering hours, electrical engineering hours, and then cost of goods sold, that bond cost. And we've created a unique formula for ourselves um, that we can extrapolate that. So depending on complexity and what the bond cost is, we can forecast what the price needs to be. The biggest sale for us is um, sometimes it comes in more expensive than the customer uh, needs. So another thing that we do on our side is, so Steve has an application, he has X amount of dollars, say it's, you know, $100,000, and he has this list of, hey, I want the machine to do this, 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 and this. You need $500,000 for your solution if you want to do all those things. What are the critical components? So I try to work with the customer up front and say, what's your ROI? What, what do you have that's critical for the operation? And then we go back and forth and build a budget together. And then if they can't afford certain things, maybe we, they can put those operators in positions outside of that. So if they're not critical to quality, we can maybe have an operator load parts in or unload parts. We don't have to make this fully automated. And I try to do a lot of that stuff up front. So um, it's not a guessing game. And with the data we've created, and now we have a, we built up our sales team to four individuals now um I've, I've taught them that that lesson and we continue to be very successful over over the years so i love that the it's not just hey we need this piece of equipment how much will it cost and can you build it for us you you really are an extension of their their engineering team when you when you partner with them to to do that type of thing yeah we're we're <laughs> We supply a machine at the end of the day, capital equipment, whatever you want to call it, but really we're a service-based company. So people come to us with a problem. We can design a solution for them and deploy a system that's going to help them. Um, but they need to understand it's just not off the shelf and it's a partnership. So every one of our customers is a partner. Our repeat customers is probably in the eight, high 80s to 90%. So once they have a project with us, they maintain a relationship. Yes, we do one-offs, but our goal is to build long-term relationships with our customers. I love that. So switching gears just a little bit, now that we understand you know, your business and the type of value that you provide, let's talk about what you see out in the future. What excites you most about the future of your business? So one of the things, um, COVID was a little tough for us in the sense that um, we, we do do diagnostics. So the life science uh, part of the business is diagnostics. So we did have a bubble in uh, diagnostics. We are in the life science and medical phase. Um, so most of our business comes from those avenues. What had happened was uh, shortages of parts during COVID were like very tough for us, long lead times. Um, and it, so I think the onboarding of you know, manufacturing back to the U.S. is going to be very helpful. So that's a positive thing that I see. Uh, some of the negative was the cost of the components are getting so high and then the lead times were really problematic for us. So we, when you work with Intech, we will receive a purchase order and we have a fixed timeline and a fixed budget. We're not, you know, trying to do ECOs or whatever. So with a certain amount of money, we'll deliver a certain product at the end of the day at a certain timeline because you need the product to start making money for yourself. During COVID and, you know, going into the future, 
lacking parts like a robot or a camera that with a long lead time, the project started to grow in length. And um, so we had to figure that out. And what had happened in um, 22 was we got acquired by uh, Barry Waymiller. And they're a manufacturing company that has uh, bigger relationships with key vendors. And part of our success, which was a gap for us, is um, now they have global relationships. So as a smaller company in New Hampshire, um, it was tough for us to kind of leverage some of that power. So we're now part of a bigger company and that's been kind of mitigating some of that risk. So I think the future is very bright for us and BW's uh, very people centric and we were people centric. So it's been a great transition for us as a New England based company. Um, it's it's been perfect. The, the team uh, really likes the experience. And then they're, it's kind of having a big brother gives us that safety net, but we can still, you know, work uh, autonomously for ourselves to grow the business. So it's been, it's been great. So I, I'm excited about the future, honestly. Very exciting. So now flipping that around, you know, we always have some concerns, things that, you know, maybe in the, in the back of our minds are, are keeping us up a little bit industry wise or, um, you know, global uh, economic conditions, political, you know, geopolitical situations. Does anything like that uh, concern you uh, in the near term or, or long term for the, for the business? So strategically, my background is mechanical engineering. I got an MBA and then, you know, I minored in finance. So when I first took over in tech, my thought was diversification makes a lot of sense, right? So that's going to um, ebb and flow through economic times and all these things. So I put energy into automotive, aerospace, medical, life science. And what I quickly realized is the aerospace and some of those uh, automotive um, buckets, there's a lot of automation, but they're very cyclical and risky. So we made a conscious decision probably six years ago to kind of keyly focus on the life science and medical. And I think that was probably a smart move for us uh, because I think that those markets are going to continue to grow as, as we continue to grow. So there's an aging workforce, uh, a lot of medical uh, advancements. Um, so I think it was smart for us to kind of push in that direction and we're marketing and selling in those directions. We, we also still like the high tech and emerging market industry because it's new and, uh, it, it, you know, it could be the, the lightning in the bottle. So we pay attention to some of those applications where we're going to um, potentially see some new growth or we want to stay in touch with those emerging. So emerging markets, medical life science is kind of our, our key industries that we're targeting and uh, I don't know. I feel pretty confident that those are going to continue to ramp in the right direction. Nice. You, you mentioned something I want to ask you about uh, an aging workforce. So it sounds like you're you're employing primarily engineers, mechanical, electrical engineers, probably some people that are doing uh, technicians as well. As well. Do you do you have? I know a lot of business leaders have concerns about uh, the workforce. Do you see any challenges with that in the future, or? or are you feeling pretty confident in, in what you're seeing for uh, potential employees? Um, I was just talking to our engineering manager this morning that we need to 
start to work on a mentor mentee uh, program where we have senior and so some of our senior engineers are you know in their 60s are getting close to retirement and we need to do a transfer of knowledge that the stuff that we do is not something they teach in mechanical engineering school it's really hands-on and experience you can get yourself and you could be come out of engineering school and you don't know how to design custom automation equipment you have to do it to experience it and a couple of the books i've been reading we're talking about master's programs and apprentice programs and how that's kind of gone away uh you know historically it's it's been the way of cobblers machinists all electricians plumbers you know these trades we're not doing a good job in um, manufacturing and engineering industries. So um, it's funny that you asked, but so what we've done is we worked with a couple of universities. We had three interns last summer from UNH. Uh, we've picked up a couple um, kids out of the electrical program from uh, Granite State College and that we've actually hired one. She's full-time with us now. So um, we do, we're, we're conscious of it and we're working with local universities and we're, we're trying to leverage our internships to actually turn into full-time employees. That's exciting. Um, and I'll put a plug in for my alma mater, uh, UMass Lowell, which is also a, uh, a highly regarded engineering school. So maybe think about that as well. Um, so going back to the New England theme, uh, again, you mentioned that you were you're born and raised New England kid. You used uh, the New Hampshire state school system for your degrees. Uh, in terms of having your business located here in New England, uh, do you see pros or cons in in that regard? Uh, I would say pros. Uh, I've um, my previous job was uh, North America operations manager, and we had facilities in Mexico, Canada, and all across the United States. So I had exposure to a lot of different manufacturing uh, environments and their people, and. When it comes to New England folks, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, they're hardworking, they're dedicated, they're they're a little matter of fact, maybe <laughs> a little rough, um, but they get the job done. So I think being, you know, founding fathers are built out of here. So they're, they're pretty mechanically inclined. They're hard workers. They work on farms. They fix their own stuff. They build their own houses. It's pretty unique to this area. Um they're not saying that there's not clever people anywhere else that there are, um, but here, yeah. So we're a little I, special I in New England, right? We, we are, yeah, <laughs> including myself, right? So, um, well, so, but uh, yeah, I think it's a positive for sure. Sorry to answer your question. Great. I appreciate that. So, last question, Corey, uh, you got your engineering degree and worked your way up, and, and you've held. Uh, senior level positions, now president uh, of a major automation company here in New England. Any advice for budding business leaders or or maybe uh, students getting ready to graduate who might want that same type of career track that, that you've had? Sure. Um, so I had many jobs uh, throughout my career and from the military to my first internship as an engineer, I, I would always try to find someone that wanted to share their knowledge. And when that knowledge was exhausted, I would find someone else. And I was just always hunger, hungry to find someone that wanted to help. Um, 
sometimes as a young kid, that wasn't, you know, a senior engineer. It was a guy on the floor that actually knew how to torque bolts better than I did, right? So it was an old grumpy guy. But if you went over and asked him a question, you'd be like, who's this kid, right? And then you kind of befriend them. They, everybody's willing to offer what they know. So instead of being a kid coming out of engineering school, thinking that, you know, everything, open your eyes, see who's the grumpy guy over in the corner. That's doing a good job that you want to learn about welding or machining or, um, and then, uh, one, once I got a lot of that stuff kind of locked down, I was looking at my career path and where I wanted to go. So I shifted from a smaller company, which I learned a lot of stuff at, but I was a little exhausted after five years on what I could get from the company. I was making a good salary. I liked the company, but I needed another challenge. So then I shifted over to Goss Heidelberg, where I knew they were doing everything at, from a large machine shop to building to field service. I wanted to get exposure to that stuff. So Put yourself in situations that feel a little uncomfortable. And then when you get into those situations, ask questions. And uh, the next move, I looked around and everybody that was managing engineering groups had an MBA. So how do you get an MBA? Where do you go? Can you do it? So then I started to look into opportunities like that. And then tuition reimbursement. I worked for a company that paid for you know my MBA through tuition reimbursement. So companies want young people that are eager to learn and grow and i think if you have that growth mindset throughout your career that's going to be your success um and don't expect it all in the beginning i think you have to put in the work to get to where you're going so coming out of school you just want to be a president of a company it's not all it's cracked up to be there's a lot of responsibility but all the stuff that i did to get to this point I leverage every day, right? So you need to have that in your toolbox. And if you don't have it in your toolbox, you're not going to be successful in that next step. So I think building those tiers for uh, future success makes a lot of sense. It's been, it's, it's what's worked for me. Lots of great advice, Corey. And uh, I really enjoyed you, your story about the grumpy guy in the corner that knows how to torque bolts better than you. I know that guy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a ton of value in in building relationships with the with the folks that have been doing it a long time. Uh, so Corey Marcotte, thank you so much uh, for your time today and for joining me. It was great meeting you, learning all about you and something about InTech as well. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Steve. All Have right. a great day. You too. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for watching and listening. We'll, uh, we'll be back another time soon with our next episode. Have a great day.